the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. You're going to have to choose between me and Jesus. And she's like, well, you know, it's not you or Jesus. It's you and Jesus, you know. And I love you and nothing has changed. And, you know, I want us to be together forever. And, but as she grew in grace and as she stopped doing certain things that she used to do, things that he still wanted to do, he said, you know, it's really this. You need to turn your back on God and embrace me. And if you won't do that, I'm going to get rid of you. And she goes, I do not want a divorce. He goes, I do. And so he got rid of her. Abandonment by an unbeliever. There's a lady I knew in Los Angeles who's gone to be with the Lord, whose name was Mo. That was her nickname. And her husband was a career military officer, United States Navy, pretty well up the chain of command. She comes to Christ. He doesn't like it. He doesn't want to divorce her because he doesn't want to lose his pension. Because, you know, the Navy at that time would divide the pension between her and him. So he stays with her, and he ignores her, and he mistreats her. Finally, he moves her to L.A., moves her within a mile of the church that we attended, and she's thrilled. They buy a place, and he says, here, you're a mile from this church and this pastor that you like? And uh, so there, and she's thinking, man, maybe he's going to change. He says, here's the house key, here are the car keys, I'm going back to the East Coast. You're on your own. For the next five to seven years, she reached out to him and she tried to go see him and tried to get him to come to see her and this, that, and the other. And finally, she comes to, we had a large counseling department at that church, and she comes to one of the pastors and says, I've been working, you know, and she told the story. And he said, for five years, six years, seven years, I've been trying to woo and win him back. And she goes, I think the time has come for divorce because he's pretty much abandoned me out here. And the pastor said, you know what? I think you're right. He goes, we never counsel divorce because we always have hope that where there's Christ there could be divine intervention and he said but in this case I think you it would meet the standard of being abandoned by an unbeliever and so got a divorce now she went through a process and you don't see the process in America so much anymore she went to the elders of her church got advice nowadays people go to the people they know hopefully people that will affirm them ask for advice and after they've decided then they let the elders know by the way i'm doing this i'm doing that i'm getting a divorce but in this case she did she went to the pastor went to the elders they helped her they provided for her financially every kind of thing and she ultimately got a divorce that is abandonment by an unbeliever the third ground of divorce is less clear And this is where we have to be careful. It is implicit in the text. These two previous grounds were explicit. They're spelled out. But if we turn our Bibles to Romans chapter 13, 1 through 4, and also put our finger in 1 Peter 2, 13 through 16, we find implicit grounds for divorce. And I will read this to you and try to walk you through it and explain this to you, okay? In Romans 13, what's Romans 13 about? It's about our relationship with the government, right? Romans 13, let every person be subject to governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God, okay? So Paul's writing, who's the head of the government in Paul's time? Anybody know? Nero, Nero, okay? Not Donald Trump and not Barack Obama, Nero, whole different league, right? Okay, 
And he says, you know, if you do what is good, you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. All right? Government is there to maintain order, to enforce the law, even imperfect government. 1 Peter 2, 13 through 16. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Okay, how does that relate to divorce? There's no mention of divorce there in the text, is there? Let me give you an application. And believe it or not, over the last 18 years, I've dealt with both kinds. I've had a man come to me who was being beaten by his wife, and I've had a woman come to me who was being beaten by her husband, okay? What do you do? You do two things. A, you pick up the phone, you dial 911. You call the police, and they remove the offending party. Sometimes it gets messy. Or there are people, there are problems, and ministry is messy. Second thing you do is you notify the elders of your church. Again, this goes against most 21st century American society who would, the elders would be the last resort, but that really is a problem of uh, other proportions. The police removes the person and puts him under, or her, under lock and key. Two or three things happen, then you go to the elders of the church, you explain what's going on, and they help you. They try to put you and him and her back together again, talk through it. Maybe the person repents, maybe they're a believer, and maybe they come to repentance, and that's great. But what happens most of the time is they abandon the believing spouse, okay? And the elders of the church and the church family walk arm in arm with him or her through the crisis and You let God work it out through his providence. And no, it's not going to get fixed in a week or two or four or six. But this is implicit in the text. Explicit adultery, abandonment by an unbeliever, physical abuse, endangering the children, the husband, the wife, the spouse, whoever it is. And the government intervenes when you call the police. And let me tell you, as a pastor, I'm 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 required to call the police. Okay, It varies from state to state. I think in California, I'm required. And frankly, and I say this tongue-in-cheek, but almost in all seriousness, better they get a hold of you than me if you're, if you're doing violence to your spouse, okay? There's no mention of divorce here, but the principle is this. Let the government separate them and let the unbeliever abandon the believer. Give God a chance to work. The problem is with you and me and other people is whatever situation or circumstance we fall into, we seldom give God chance, a chance to work. And we just react instead of respond. We have this reflexive reaction. But we need to have a deliberate, God-glorifying, Christ-proclaiming, spiritually growing reaction, response. You know? And what will happen is God will work if you allow him. It's not always easy, but difficult doesn't mean impossible. So there are grounds for divorce. Marriage is permanent. There are three grounds that I can exegete that I can read out of the scripture, not read into the scripture, the culture. Immorality, abandonment by an unbeliever, breaking the law through an act of violence and endangering the safety and well-being of the family. And that involves intervention by the government and by the church family. It's not done off in a corner. It's hard, but this is God's way. This is God's will. And God's will is perfect and he doesn't make mistakes. And it's hard. I get it. Let me tell you, I get it. I can't, before I came, the first 10 years of my ministry 
40% of my time was spent counseling. I minored in counseling as, in, in seminary. And so premarital, marital crisis, whatever it was, you know. Um, and I spent a lot of years studying this and doing this. And it's never easy, but you'd be surprised how often these things turn out well. I, the worst case I ever had was a man and a woman came to me. And the, and, and the woman wanted a divorce because she was pregnant by another man. She'd gotten a sexually transmitted disease. And she wanted me to tell her kids that she was going to walk away from them and him, but it would be all right. And I'm just like, and they weren't from my church. I used to get referrals outside of my church. And I was like, oh, I can't do that. I can't do that. I can't do that. And I started walking them through the will of God and the word of God. The husband wanted to forgive her and to keep her. And she wanted to go and live with this guy over here. I remember leaving the room that day thinking there is no way this knot is going to get untied. I mean, there's no way to solve this problem. She's too hard-hearted, too stubborn. You know what happened? She came to her senses. She repented. They got back together again. He adopted the child of this other man that his wife was carrying after the child was born. The other man terminated parental rights. And as crazy as it sounds, they lived happily ever after, so to speak, at least for the last almost 10 years. I've lost track of them. Let God work. Don't hit the ejector button. Give God a chance to work. And a lot of times we see these clear teachings. And, you know, we don't learn to reason anymore. It's not, logic is seldom taught, often caught. If, this is, if, if, if marriage is permanent and if, it's, and if there are only so many grounds for divorce, then the opposite of that is marriage is not intended to be easily broken apart and there aren't many grounds of divorce, right? We, we have to think of that. They used to call it thesis antithesis or antithesis, for if you're from the South like me. Thesis, antithesis, thesis, antithesis. If this is God's will, anything outside of God's will is not a good idea, okay? All right, the last question, question number seven. Question number seven is this, who did God intend to marry? And this addresses really two groups, and this is very, very controversial here in the 21st century, but it's always been controversial. It's a multifaceted, multi-sided question. <coughs> who did God intend to marry? It's a two-fold question. God intended marriage for two scenarios and that two types of people were intended for one another. Men and women and only men to only women. It's pretty clear. Uh, God is designed between one uh, wedding, marriage, designed by God for one man and one woman. Okay? It's inescapable. Jesus teaches that. Where does he teach that? People say, well, God never taught on this. Jesus did. Matthew 19, again, we go back. Have you not read... Have you not read your Bibles, right? In Matthew 19, 3 through 6. Have you not read that he created them male and female from the beginning? And therefore, a man, a male, shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, a female, and the two shall become one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no one separate. Let me walk you through the Greek here just a little bit. When you read in the New Testament, there is no word for husband and there is no word for wife. Do you know that? It's my woman my man. His woman, her man. Okay? That's how that works. It's a personal possessive pronoun, and when the context tells you that this woman right here, this female, or this male, is somebody's spouse. And so what it's, and so Jesus here, New Testament and Greek, it works the same way in Hebrew. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his woman, and the two shall become one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. It's talking about a man and a woman. That's it. You know, I remember when this whole topic came up about who can marriage and redefining the traditional marriage. Somebody said, well, the next thing you know, there's going to be polygamy and polyamory and all this kind of stuff. And the advocates said, oh, no, that'll never happen. It's happening right now. 
right? You ever watch, you know, Sister Brides or Big Love or all these shows on television? It's normalizing, you know. But the bottom line is it's made gender and sex are the same thing and they are not changeable. One woman is to be married to one man, one man to one woman. That's what you have taught from Old Testament to New Testament. And what you have to decide is who you're going to serve. You're going to serve the culture or you're going to serve God, right? Who is you and your house going to serve? And if you say, well, that's culturally dated and this, that, and the other, now you have to decide, okay, inspiration of Scripture really doesn't work anymore. And now that I'm the final arbiter of what is true, or at least the culture is, what other parts of the Bible do I choose not to believe? Because if it's wrong there, it might as well be wrong everywhere else. You just don't get to pick and choose. It's not about you, it's about God. He's the master, we're the servant. He's the creator, we're the created. And he made marriage for one man and one woman. Not one man and three women, not two women and five men. It's not it. It's not polygamy. It's not polyamorism. It's not homosexual. And you say, well, there's polygamy in the Bible. There's murder in the Bible. You have narratives that describe murder. It's not an endorsement. It's a newspaper headline. And so, you know, you really just have to decide, are you in or out? Are you a Christian so long as it suits you? And then when you're called to do something you don't like or something that's going to invite person, you're going to be persecuted, particularly in this neck of the woods. You've got to decide who you're going to serve. Okay, second group, second group. And these are all common sense. Just read it. Just read the text and don't read it with blinders on or your fingers in your ear. Second group, second group. Christian marries Christian. Christian dates Christian. I can't tell you how many times. Well, God gave me this person. Are they a believer? No, then he didn't give them to you. Well, I think it's the will of God. Well, I don't. Well, God told me it was. Well, God told me it wasn't. <laughs> you know, I mean, I can't tell you how many times somebody will come to me and say, well, God has told me to do this. And I'm like, really? Well, tell me specifically what he called you to. Because, you know, in, in the Bible, when God called Jonah to do what he didn't want to do, he told him specifically. When God called Isaiah, he called him to a specific ministry. In a specific action. When God called Amos, he knew exactly what he was going to do. When God called Jeremiah, he knew exactly what he was going to do. He wasn't going to wait and pray for five years and figure it out. God told him, well, of course, we always like to say, well, Abraham, Abraham was the progenitor of the Messiah. He's not normative. Don't base your life on Abraham. Base it on the whole counsel of Scripture. And when God calls you to something, he calls you very specifically. And he is called believers not to date unbelievers under any and all circumstances. And he has called believers not to marry unbelievers under any and all circumstances. Where does it say that? Anybody know? First Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. What does it say there? Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Other translations say, do not be bound together with unbelievers. And look, and then here's the rationale. Watch this rationale play out. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? It's like two different species here. Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? What accord has Christ with Bilal? What, ac- what relationship does Christ have with the devil? Not a good one. Or what portion does a believer share in common with an unbeliever? What agreement does the temple of God have with idols? 
And we, for we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing, and I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you will be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. There's a command and a rationale. What I love about the Word of God, He tells you what He wants you to do, and He tells you why. And basically, for a believer to be in partnership, fellowship, marriage with an unbeliever is insanity. For an unbeliever to date a believer is insanity because they have nothing in common. One worships the one true God, one's on the other team by default. One wants to live for the glory of God and the good of others, and the other one wants to do what he wants to do, when he wants to do it, how he wants to do it. And let me tell you what happens. Then comes children. And you, you could say, well, he, he's, he or she is okay with me going to church for a while. And then one Sunday morning, look, why are you getting up at 6.30 and going to church? You know, can't we just sleep in today? Just this, I mean, just this once. I mean, you're not going to be legalistic, are you? Just this once. Just this, just this three times. Just this four times. And then the kids. Oh, come on now. Don't, come on, kids. Let's, let, let's, go, let's go to the beach. Mom's going to church. Dad's going to church. Let's go to the beach. It's a tug of war with eternal consequences. And the losers are the children. Almost always. I'll give you a case in point. I told you the story about Arnie and Eunice. Eunice comes to Christ at 27, Arnie at 59. I meet Arnie at 89. Solid believer, loves the Lord, 89 going on 45, 35. I couldn't believe this guy. Then he told me, he goes, I need you to pray for my kids. And I said, why is that? He goes, well, my wife came to Christ at 27. She prayed for me. She put up with me. She loved me. She loved the kids. I came to Christ at 59. And we were the same age. They were the same age. But between the ages of 27 and 59, I did everything in my power to pull them away from the church and her sphere of influence. I took them to the beach. I took them to the golf course. I took them on hikes. I took them on bicycle rides. I did everything I could as an unbelieving husband, to set them free from the bonds of Christianity. And I succeeded. One has died without Christ, and the other is a full-blown mocker and scorner. And I want you to do... He was afraid he was going to die. If I die, I want you to talk to him. God was bulletproof. He was so hardened by what everything his father did over those years. That there was just no getting through to this guy. Is that what you want? Do you want to love that guy or girl more than you love Jesus, more than you love the church? Because your attitude towards the church is your attitude toward God. Your attitude towards your dating relationships is your attitude toward Jesus. And you are not to be attached because there's no basis for the attachment. You're going to spend eternity forever separated if you're really saved in the first place. And they may drag their kids off to hell with them. Is that what you want? And then you have to think about it. Well, you know, let's not be legalistic. Well, let me ask you a question. So you love this guy or gal more than you love God? Well, that's your idol. And God hates idolatry. You shall have no other gods before. God intended for a believer to date believer, for a believing man to date a married believing woman, believing woman. That's the way it is. That's God's economy. That's why we won't marry. You know, you go through premarital counseling here. We want to know. Here, I sat with a couple in premarital one time, and I said, so, give, so I look at him and say, give me her testimony. He goes, well, I don't know her testimony. I said, how about you? Can you give me his testimony? No, I don't know her testimony. Come back when you can. So the next week they came back and she didn't have a testimony. She was an unbeliever. She never even professed Christ. She didn't know what we were talking about, but she played along in that meeting. I'm just like, you know, I just can't do this. I'm sorry. And I was the, I was the bad guy. But really, he was the bad guy. He should have evangelized her. He should have tried to lead her to Christ. But I'm not talking about missionary dating here, guys, because it almost always fails. And the one in a million times that it works... Don't mistake God's grace for his approval of your sin, right? 
So who did God intend to marry? A believing man to marry a believing woman. So what do you do with all this? I know I've covered a lot of territory, and you know, it, it's hard to preach this. It hurts to preach. It hurts to hear this, I'm sure, on, at some level, in some cases. You may be sitting here, you may have divorced for the wrong reason, and it's, you can't fix it. It's happened, it's done, they've gone on, they've remarried, you've remarried. You know what? In God's economy, he can make lemonade out of lemons. I'm not being funny. He can fix, he can heal, he can restore if you'll let him, if you'll return to him. He loves you. He doesn't hate you. He's he's not waiting to punish you for every little sin. But he does expect you to love him back. And he does expect you to try to serve and obey him. And sometimes you try to go back and you try to remarry. And they've gone on to marry it anyway. After that, it's all over. Or maybe you were unsaved when you got the divorce. Well, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, they are new creations. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. You're free to marry. But the bottom line is, it hurts, but God is there. And God is bigger than your hurt and my hurt. I just want you to know that. I'm not preaching all this. This is for you and your children and your grandchildren and your friends and your neighbors and the person in the cubicle next to you who may be going through a difficulty, and you can teach them what you've learned. You can encourage them. You can guide them. You can try to shepherd them. You can try to help them. You may be sitting five years from now walking arm in arm with somebody who's about to make the mistake you made 30 years ago, 40 years ago, and say, look, trust me, you don't want to do this, okay? Or here's what happened with me. Here's what, if you thought about this, have you thought about that? Have you been there in God's word? You know what I'm saying? So that's number one. Number two, re-examine your beliefs in light of God's word, which is God's will and testament, right? What? Don't, don't say, well, you know, pastor, that's just your interpretation. Well, give me another one. What do the words say? What do they mean? And sometimes we hear things and we say, well, there should be warnings. I need to have a safe place, a safe zone. The Bible is a very unsafe place to go because it challenges our thinkings and it shows us where we need to change and change is often painful. So understand Christ's view on marriage and embrace it. Number three, see marriage as God sees marriage, permanent. You just can't up and quit when the going gets tough. You just can't do it. Lives are at stake. Marriage is the most powerful evangelistic tool that your children will be subjected to, that your neighbors will see. And sometimes... God uses it to, you know, you're sitting here, change this man, change this man, or change this woman, change this woman, and he changes you, and you were the problem all along. You just didn't know. Next, ask yourself as you struggle in marriage and as you struggle with dating non-Christians, how big is my God? Do I think the plans he's got for me are better than the ones I can cook up for? Who am I going to trust, God or me? And last and not least, remind yourself that we are to live lives of worship, and worshiping God involves trusting God and conforming our will to his. And while that is very, very difficult sometimes, difficult does not mean because with God, all things. This is tough stuff, guys, but it's foundational to the health of this church, to the health of our families, and to the health of our marriages. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.